Hello, I'm Mallory Rubin. And I'm Van Lathan. Check out the Ringerverse podcast from The Ringer for all things superhero movies, nerd culture, and fandom entertainment. We have instant reviews and fun takes on all the latest news and more available now on Spotify. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Listen, no flies on me. <laughs> no flies on me, but all eyes on me. <laughs> no doubt. Worse to live by. <laughs> it's your new Twitter bio. It is. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast from RC. I'm Issa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm right, thanks man. How are you? All the better for seeing you, Ryan. Oh, God. <laughs> Pandering to the vase. <laughs> I can't even get mad anymore. You can't. There's enough going on at the moment. That's right. Without having to deal with your bullshit. Insincerity. <laughs> how are you though? How was your weekend? It was all right, man. It was all right. Mm. Just stuff going on, but it's all good. Plenty. Yes, absolutely. At least we are in Berlin. We are present and correct. How about yours? Um, well, you know, apart from the obvious. Mm. You went on the march, right? I did. Well, you call it a march, but there wasn't much room to march. I went to the protest. I was masked, I must add, with the surgical mask, SFP2, FFP2. There was a, an anti-war protest in Berlin. It is the biggest protest I have ever seen in this city and maybe been part of. It was absolutely vast. 100,000 people, right? I think it was far more than that. Wow. I think it was far more than that. I got there, at, so it started at one. I got there about, you know, one, 10 to one. And it was just, put it this way, I went with a group of people, shout out to Manos, uh, my mates. <laughs> and I was between, so I was with two groups of people, right? And this is how crowded it was. They were next to me, so I was talking to a couple, of, a, couple, a couple of people, a really lovely couple, and then Manos was up ahead. And you know the phrase, melt into a crowd? Mm. I never knew what it meant until Sunday, because literally I was between the two groups of people I was with, and I lost them. Within 15, 20 seconds, I'd gone from like being around 20 people to just like, they were all gone. I didn't find them again for the rest of the protest. So I was just there. I just thought it was important to be like in the crowd. I said, your friends with your friends with distance. Very smart, very already. smart. I know they dropped. Listen, <laughs> like we'll be the first time. Let's, no, get, let's, get, let's get rid of Musa now for all. What's for all? But I, I sent a text to Manos. I was like, dude, I lost you. Um, but it's just good, like, be in the presence. Which is, it's important to be, I think, um, seen. And if if you can be, if you can be visible, if you can be on the street, if you're able to get out there, mm. I think the numbers. And one thing I've said before on Twitter, I want to say now on this podcast is like every single thing you do that you can do in terms of practical steps recommended by people at the center of it. So people asking for help in terms of practical steps, whether it's writing to your MP, whether it's um, sending messages of support or sending funding for like uh, journalism on the ground that helps us get stories out there, yeah. whatever you can do that's practical. Um, there's actually a great link. If you check out the Ukrainian Institute in London, they've got a great website where they've got steps, next steps, everything you do in the next few minutes, hours of conflict, however small it seems is extremely important. This happened in Syria. We didn't necessarily do that very well then. We did it very badly, actually. Yeah. And I just don't want a replay of that. No one does. So let's, um, let's please act as quickly as we can. Yeah, our thoughts are with everyone who is affected by this at the moment and also hard to really kind of find words that even remotely sum up the severity of what's going on. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And we hope everyone else is staying safe and well and obviously getting vaccinated if you can, getting that Getting that booster. Yeah. No doubt. Get boosted. 
get boosted like Musa boosts me on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Some admin. We were on the Ringer NBA show on Friday with Chris Ryan. It was really fun. So we, fun. That, we could have talked for like three hours, man. I loved it. Yeah. Chris, Chris kept saying like, oh, I don't want to keep you guys. I was like, what are you talking about, Chris? He's the best. It was really fun. We talked about some stuff that the NBA could learn from football and vice versa, because as we mentioned on the podcast, the last thing that any NBA fan or American sports fan wants is to hear the sound of two English voices telling them what's wrong with the NBA. Yes. <laughs> and actually, I love the NBA. Yeah. NBA's fine. It just needs, you know, could doesn't need, but you know, it was more about um, just kind of throwing out some hypotheticals as, and as everyone knows, there are a few things that Moose and I do better than hypotheticals. Strong hypotheticals. <laughs> well, a few things we do, but a few things we enjoy more, I think, more accurately. But yeah. Actually, yeah, that's, that's fair. That's, I think I just boosted myself there. <laughs> Righty's house this week will be Flo and Carl, and obviously Righty himself. We are going to save the Bielsa chat for Righty's house. Yeah. Those three are going to do that. That will go up on Wednesday, the recording Tuesday. They'll also talk a little bit about Arsenal and Manchester United, because Carl's on, and just... Where they're at, expectations around the club, etc. And also, they'll talk a little bit about Christian Eriksen. So that'll be up on the Ring RC feed on Wednesday. Uh, today, we are going to talk about hmm, how to even phrase it. What's going on at the moment, I suppose. Mm, yeah. But from a football perspective, so it's going to be one of those, I was going to say classic stadio one twos very serious in part one and then in part two we'll talk about the Carabao Cup final yes which was which was extremely which is very much like having the sweetest of desserts after the most bitter main yeah that's right the creme brulee of cup finals (laughs) (laughs) not anyone can get a creme brulee right yeah a hard exterior I have failed many times messed it up many times braver man than I at least you attempted it well you know I think you put your neck out a lot more than I do. If creme brulee is the, is the level of my, <laughs> the extent, my brave... Your exposure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How brave I am is judged by my dessert making, then... Yeah. But before that, we're going to just quickly touch on a couple of other football things that we loved from the weekend because there was some really good football this weekend. There was some beautiful football. Katie McCabe only scores absolute bangers. <laughs> and she scored another on the weekend in Arsenal's win over Liverpool in the FA Cup. Um... Young Pedri. Yeah. Oh, oh my. Okay, look, okay. Um, yes, please, please, let's talk about this. Oh, before we get to Pedri, another player who only scores absolute bangers, Fabian Ruiz, scored an absolutely spectacular, I was howling when I saw this going. So he got a late winner for Napoli over Lazio at Lazio, which put Napoli top of Serie A. Serie A now, seven points in the top four with like 11 or 12 games to go, 11 rounds to go. <laughs> and it's, and Serie A right now is my happy place. It's wonderful, man. It's so good. Serie A? Serie A. Yes. That's what I'm calling <laughs> Should we just send them some adverts that they'll never use? <laughs> yeah, I just, the, the, because German adverts are so funny, right? And they're like, there's one that's always in the middle of the football on Sky for, I can't remember what the company is now, but it has this little song that goes, uh, Lira Tuta. My da good. It's about a guy who's like putting his hand in a packet of crisps, yeah, but it's yeah. all empty. It's all gone. That's brilliant. And I was just like, oh, this is just such an earworm. Can you imagine like, going Siri? Yeah. Can you imagine, can you imagine yeah. doing that on German TV on Dazone? It would be so popular. It'd be yeah. so popular. Siri, yeah. Siri, yeah. Live after zone. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. That's genuinely incredible, Ryan. Before I forget, um, I interrupted you rudely. You were talking about Pedri. Never interrupt me rudely. What are you talking about? Oh, okay. I do interrupt you, though. Sometimes it's necessary. Lost. The interrupting is necessary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pedri. So, um, Javi, legendary midfielder, renowned for seeing things way before anyone else does on the football pitch, apart from this time, because... <laughs> this man, <laughs> after Barcelona's win over the Athletic Club, compared Pedri to Andres Iniesta. <laughs> Something that we did on Stadio in 2020. Very, very cagely in terms of like 
is this too much? Yeah. I remember the moment. I remember the moment. It was after, I think it was like a few games after his debut. Yes. And um, you've been watching him a lot, actually. You'd watch him more than I had, I think. Yeah. I said, yeah. I don't want to go there, but I'm going to go there. He reminds me of someone. And he does. So to hear Xavi confirm that for me, I was just like, thank God. And he that. was better than Iniesta at this age. Oh, for Pedri, sure. He was, he was better than Xavi was at this age. This is the thing that, that like, you could argue that Gavi, you could argue that Gavi is better than Xavi was at this age. You can argue it. In terms of influence, you can argue who's better than Gap than Chavi was at this age. Hey, and Nico is definitely taller than Busquets. And he's a glorious player, Nico Gonzalez. And, but the, the thing about Pedri's game, if you get a chance, any of you to watch, there's also like a two minute compilation someone's put together of it, of every touch that Pedri made against Athletic Club. Look, okay. Wow. Athletic Club are a good team. They're coming off a 4-0 win um, in the Derby. In the derby. Yeah. And it was 1-0 until, and, the, and then, oh my God, like, if you get a chance to watch this, first of all, Usman Dembele has to stay at Barca. He has to stay at Barca. I'm going to interrupt. What La Liga do quite well is that they have these really cool analytics stuff that are going on during the game. Yeah. They did the shot, prob- the, the goal saw probability saw on, his, on his goal. I saw it. It was 4%. 4.4%. I saw it. And it was astonishing. The moment he receives the ball driven into his feet from Frankie de Jong onto his left foot. And look, the, what Dembele did last night in terms of the cameo was astonishing. The way he raised it, it was a 1-0 and he came on, got a goal and two assists and the goal that he sets up for Frank, for Luke de Jong was astonishing because if you watch, please go back and watch that goal, but go back 30 seconds before he crosses it in and watch Pedri in the build-up. It is, I had to watch it. There's a thing Pedri does when, so the ball gets knocked in field to him from a sliding tackle. In one move, he shields the ball on one touch, spins round and then shimmies the ball, and this was pure Iniesta, shimmies from like left to right, pops the ball through the gap, receives it again, and then hits an astonishing diagonal. An mm. astonishing diagonal to Dembele, who just crosses over his opposite man, and then crosses it in for the Durong header. Dembele is only 25 in May, Ryan. Wild. He can have a second career. And you know what's fascinating about this as well? The way that he celebrated, the way that Xavi made a point of that, and the way that all the players leapt on top of him, this is not an unpopular player in the Barcelona no. dressing room. They love that guy. They love this guy. You don't fake a celebration. You don't fake euphoria. They want this man to stay because they know they can win with him. And the tools that they have, Aubameyang looks really happy there. Him and Adama and Ferran Torres. Ferran Torres didn't score the other day, but I think he's just a bit too hasty. His chance will come. His moments will come. Front three looks good. The, the fluidity, and Pedri said it, Pedri said it, is clicking. We're yep. moving the ball now well. Busquets, elder statesman. How a player that slow can defend that well blows my mind but it's the footballing intelligence he just anticipates four or five seconds in advance I've been really impressed with Adama when he went I was a bit like is he going to start though is he gonna... yeah of course yeah yeah a lot of yeah. that was based on just basically like his form this season of course yeah yeah we know yeah. his strengths mm, yeah but Barca was such a you've said this the before like, square pegs like... and square holes Ryan you've said this before yeah but I think actually the complementing signing of Aubameyang, I think, is something really interesting. Mm. That it brings a little bit more balance to that front three than I actually thought would be there. Mm. To be fair, mm. way way more. So I, I'm I've been super impressed, and I think they all deserve a lot of credit because it's like I said before, like it's really hard to tell whether this is going to be the beginning of this bright new dawn for Barcelona because we don't know how many of these people are even going to be there next season. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see on like I don't know the beginning of the season next season who's there mm. if all of the people who started are there maybe with one addition the centre back then yeah I could probably do with a right back left, as well. maybe, I think maybe a left back actually because I think that Dest maybe a right back an absolute priority I would say maybe if there was any priority at all absolute priority I would say it was a centre back mm. an absolute priority and then I would say left back as a support for Alba um, but this is like Chavi, C- like who would come back for Chavi season two? It's like all the si- all the stars on the network are like, we have to resign for this. Like the amount of fun they're having, anyone that's watched, anyone that's been privileged enough to watch all 90 minutes of Barcelona Athletic Club and Barcelona Napoli, this is the most exciting incarnation of Barcelona I've seen for a couple of seasons. Yeah, I agree. They're playing beautiful football, really are. Yeah, this kind of feels like Chavi doing the pilot for what could potentially be like a six season HBO thing. <laughs> do you know what? That's exact. That's a brilliant analogy. Yeah. And also, do you yeah. know what? I don't know if he gets the pet burnout. 
I don't know if he has the same burnout stuff issues that Pep would have had because there was less pressure on Xavi at the beginning and the way he's got them playing already. There was one passage of play, I think it was about 20 minutes to go and it blew my mind because I'm like, I've seen that before. I saw that in 2011. The way that they play their way out of the corner in the right back position. If you get a chance to watch it, those who watch the game will know what I'm talking about. In the right back position, they play like, Ryan, they play like three triangles to get out of trouble. Mm. And I almost... I sound like a bit dramatic. I, I basically was at my lap. I just gasped. I'm like, oh my God. Dude, I, I think there's way less pressure on Xavi because yeah. when Pep took over, Barcelona had won the Champions League in 2006. Mm. Right. Barcelona haven't for seven years, coming up seven years. So there's no pressure on Xavi compared to Pep. No, that's true, actually. That's true. None at all. Where Barcelona had to get to was far, far lower than they were when Pep took over and before that, in the immediate run before that. The only bad I news think. for Arsenal is... For Arsenal? I don't know. I can't see Frankie leaving now. Oh, no, no. I said he this looks, on there. Uh, yeah. I was on Arsblog on Friday. Oh, and right, I said okay. this. I said, I said this very thing. I said like, yeah. if you're going to move for him, he would have been gettable potentially in January, but he's not now. The way he's so, playing now, the way that, that Chavi... Done. Yeah, and, yeah, and I think Chavi understands him so well. You see the way he's playing with freedom. Yeah, yeah. man. Uh, quick shout for Sevilla, who absolutely bossed Betis mm. in the opening part of El Gran Derby. 2-1 yeah. win. Spurs are confusing. Or are they? They're not though, are they? We know what they are. Yeah. I and mean, we know where they are in their transition. It's just that Conte says stuff that makes things more confusing than they look, but actually Spurs are exactly where they, they should be at this point. Maybe 50% possession is the tipping point for Conte. You know, yeah, <laughs> that's it. Anything over that. Maybe they've got an iPad keeping tab of possession stats and they're like, give it back to them. It, yeah, it? Give it back to them. We're on 51.1. <laughs> give it back to them. Shouts to Villa as well, who not only won the XG battle, against uh, yeah. Brighton but they won the game they did 2-0 they were due a win actually like that. Yeah. Uh, Man City were fortunate I think although the talk about this penalty stuff go on Rodri's inherited the mantle from Fernandinho the oh, master the of the incre- oh my goodness the incredulous expression really? Yeah. an infringement? it's like Jedi mind trick yes it def- my arm definitely was in a natural position and the referee's like, yes. your arm was definitely in a natural position. The thing about, I've worked out what, what Rodri is and I think it's this. He's the kind of footballer that when he was young and your parents met him at school, they had this instinctive urge to bring him baked goods. He just has this like, oh, how's, how's Rodri? And like, you know, years later, it's, oh, how's your friend? You know, there's always that one friend that your friends ask, your parents ask, how's Rodri doing? He's like that. Oh, such a lovely boy. Oh, such a lovely boy. So I think in, in, in that Baked Goods 11, so Baked Goods 11 is basically people that are like, they're terrible people on the pitch at least, and they hide it. Bernardino's there, Casemiro's there. Just like Casemiro's facial expression. <laughs> and Rodri, uh, honestly, those, please just watch again, watch Rodri's face when the ball strikes him or when he strikes the ball, whatever you'd interpret it. I, I felt it was lucky to get your penalty actually. And the look well, on the face. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, to be honest, I think the, the whole kind of, the shirt sleeve, that's the rules, them's the rules kind of thing. It's, there is an angle where it looks like it hit him below the shirt sleeve, right? But also the shirt sleeve thing is such a bullshit. I think, I think the shirt sleeve thing is used more for balls that hit the outside of the arm on the shoulder. Mm. But when you're moving your arm up towards it, I think that's a penalty. The only thing, the only thing was, I think there was an offside earlier on in the, in the move, which would have stopped it from being can a penalty. I, can, I be, can I be I harsh? Think can I be harsh? That, yeah, go I think with a VAR, you shouldn't just assess the ball and what it touches. You should assess the innocence of the facial expression. Because the innocence of the facial expression in a diffusive decision is inversely proportional to the guilt. I'm saying if you look at Rodri <laughs> and Rodri looks supremely innocent and the, con- the decision is controversial, then it's a penalty. Because football is a master. It's like, you cannot look that innocent in the heat of a game that controversial in a moment like that. To look that innocent is sure evidence of guilt. I know we're making light of this, but that's a big decision. Because if Everton go down... And the goal was so unlucky. You know, this felt like a cursed game for Everton because they actually put in a really good performance and Richarlison mm. should have scored at mm. least one of those two, Ryan. Like we talk about a player of his quality, but frankly, Richarlison was signed to score goals like that. And they engineered two very good chances for him, Ryan. Mm. Two excellent opportunities. Um, and he knew it. the second chance was even better than the first, to be honest. And in both cases, pretty much straight to the keeper. Shouts to Grace Robertson, who I think wrote a tweet saying Everton nil. Manchester City won brackets Foden 71 uh, but she was 10 minutes out so oh she predicted it oh unlucky unlucky Grace great news 11 minutes out yeah yeah not bad yeah great newsletter yeah Yeah, uh, there was a load of other football this weekend but yeah 
Uh, Saint Etienne quite spirited against Paris Saint Germain. Actually, they succumbed three one mm. in the end. Um, but Saint Etienne put a really good showing, I thought. And uh, yeah, Messi and Mbappe just um, moving through the gears again for PSG. Let's take a break and then we'll get on to some serious stuff. Let's do it. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, man. So where would you like to begin here? Let's start with the most immediate stuff with FIFA and Russia and Poland. So the headline news is that Poland's FA, followed by Sweden's FA, have refused to play against Russia in the upcoming World Cup qualifier in March. And the Czech Republic has followed suit as well. Absolutely. So if, if um, Poland, refu- Poland refused to play following a very strong statement um, by Robert Lewandowski on his Twitter account, if Poland refused to play, then Sweden would be up to play. Sweden said, no, we're not doing that. And Czech Republic, we're not doing that either. FIFA tried to fudge the issue. They said, well, what we'll do is we'll just kind of rename Russia RFU. And can I, frankly, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall for that conversation. Let's rename the country RFU and then you can play against them and not against the country named Russia, which seems strange. And of course, that was rejected by the FAs in question. And this was all escalated, of course, because of Putin's decision to invade Ukraine. I say Putin's invasion because it still feels to me Putin's very much invasion. like it's Putin's invasion. It's not Russia's invasion. We must differentiate Putin from his people at this point. Well, for example, I, th- I can't remember seeing the level of protest that I've seen in Russia against Putin yeah. since he's... Given how about. dangerous protest is as well. Yeah. 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 Those people are protesting in extremely brave conditions yes. because yes. I think six thousand... But Jenny Hill from the BBC, who's... she's. She's the Berlin correspondent, but she's in Moscow at the moment. Yeah. She reported that I believe 6,000 people have already been arrested yes. after protesting. And further context as well, this weekend marks seven years from the day that Boris Nemtsov, Russian opposition leader, was murdered a few steps from the Kremlin itself for opposing this kind of intervention by Russia, military intervention. Mm. So this, this is the context. So that, that's the state of things at the moment in relation to Russia. FIFA, Poland, Sweden, and Czech Republic. The English FA released a statement saying that they will refuse to play any matches for the foreseeable future against Russian teams. Obviously, we since we've last spoke, UEFA have taken the Champions League final away from St. Petersburg and have relocated it to Paris. Extremely quick decision, I have to say. That's striking in itself. I want to say something actually quickly as well, because you said a, you sent a brilliant... Um, text. Do you mind just like reading out the thing you sent to me? No, about- I mean, I was, I was going to say this actually. So I Can think maybe we start, I want to start with a bit of a disclaimer, if yeah. that makes sense, because yeah. we don't really know where this conversation is going to go at the moment. Right. And I think a number of people who will be listening throughout the conversation may stop and think, hang on a minute, there are some glaring absences of other conflicts or other invasions or other occupations or other military action mm. against countries where countries haven't been punished in a sporting sense. Yeah, yeah. We're fully aware of that. Yes. If we were going to go through every single one and caveat every argument with another example from another time or country, we would never get this done. It's not from a matter of ignorance or anything like that. Because from a purely human point of view, like Thursday, we woke up, we read the news, we had to record. Yeah. I didn't want to record, you didn't want to record. Right. Football feels kind of secondary in times like this, but also the thing that I said to you about the, the paradox of football's importance mm. comes to the fore, where football can s- simultaneously seem completely unimportant, but its importance as a sport in contributing to the generation of soft power. Yes, yes, yes. This goes for sport in general, but obviously we're a football podcast, therefore we talk about it through a football sense. So there are a number of more complex issues that we may not cover yes. with this, Yes, but we're trying our best because our brains have been all over the place for the last few days yep. and we're not even there. We've still really struggled with it mm. or struggled with the motivation of talking about football. So yeah, I just wanted to kind of put that in there at the top because yes. I know that there, there will always be areas that we've missed with stuff like this. Mm. Um, so anyway, that was my little thing. So yeah, the, the basically like the, 
the paradox of football's importance. I sent Musa a, a text message saying that, um, text message, I sound like such a granddad. <laughs> I actually WhatsApped him yeah. saying, what we've learned from this weekend is that football is okay with being openly political. It actually does no right from wrong. Right. Yeah. It just chooses not to speak up. Yes. When it doesn't wish to. Yeah, it does. I love that you sent this. You sp- it framed it so well, actually, I thought. Yeah. I think it's shown that fans en masse kind of knew and do know. They knew what this was. What is involved in their in various club ownerships mm. and go along with that. Yeah. Yeah. In a far more sophisticated way than many might actually admit. Mm. And the final thing was that it's very easy to look at things in hindsight. However, if as an organisation such as FIFA, you are, well, let's say UEFA as well, because they essentially awarded their showpiece fixture to St. Petersburg, Putin's hometown. FIFA awarding the World Cup in 2018. What's going on at the moment hasn't come out of nowhere. No. It shouldn't take an invasion of a neighbouring country for an organisation like FIFA to question its relationship with that regime. And I specify the regime because I think that, as Musa mentioned at the top, there's a clear gap here between Putin and that administration and what a huge portion of that population stand for. It's gigantic. Yeah. So that's what I thought about this weekend. Mm. Football has, you know, a prime example, the La Liga feed in the Barcelona game and all the La Liga games, I think, this weekend, Mm. next to the scores had stop war. Mm. Flags were shown through the Premier League. Uh, messages of support were shown through various leagues around Europe. Sporting governing bodies, football, uh, football associations, confederations, they are all okay with political messages being displayed. They are okay with it. Absolutely. This is an eye-opener this weekend. The optimist part of me thinks that this could potentially, I don't know how big or small that will be, but this could potentially signify a little bit of a turning point in football's relationship with soft power. I think it's huge, Ryan. I love that you've said that. I think that's perfectly articulated. And I'll say this about soft power. I sometimes feel that authoritarians understand football soft power better than a lot of people that just watch football week in, week out. And the reason I say that is because they leap on it as an opportunity to validate themselves. And I think we've been very complacent, Ryan, in how we've allowed authoritarian states to use that soft power. And I say we, I say we collectively not players, actually. I think this is on executives, administrators, but also us as writers and commentators and journalists and pundits and bloggers. I would say this. I don't like to get into arguments on social media. I don't like to call people out on social media. I don't like to lose my temper. But I have been, and this is the angriest I'll ever get on this podcast. I have been furious and I have been enraged. And I'm actually furious and enraged right now. I don't sound it, but I am, I am furious at the opportunities which I saw. Prominent characters within football, people with larger platforms than mine. I've tried to build a platform. I've tried my, you know, there's more, there's always more we can do individually and collectively. There's always more. There were so many opportunities to call this out, to call Putin out and the regime he was building and how he was using football years before this. Um, Vladimir Putin in 2018, at the time of the World Cup, was known to be bombing hospitals in Syria at the time the World Cup was in progress. And I don't expect people on the ground in Russia to be writing about this because that has its own dangers. I suppose what I do expect, did expect, and will always expect was introspection as to how that tournament was covered and introspection as to why so often when we look at football, we look at it in terms of, oh, like, well, we'll just look at what's on the pitch and not off it. Because, how do I say this? We make our money, Ryan. We make our money off the labour of the players. We make our money off the labour of those who build the stadiums, the labour of those who, you know, paint the touchlines and all the rest of it. Those people are in peril now in Ukraine and bombs are landing on them all over Ukraine. And too many of us in previous years, and I, reg- I, ref- I refer to the football writing community, punditry community, we have not issued a single tweet, a single comment on the record in defence of these people. And some of us will go to the World Cup in Qatar or comment on the World Cup in Qatar and comment not one bit in public about any of that. And some might say, oh, I separate. Well, actually, you're, you're absolving yourselves of responsibility, actually, Ryan. 
sounds extreme judgmental. I'm not naming names because it's not my style to do that. And I was extremely tempted to, but I don't want to because I want it to be a collective thing. I don't want people to think, oh, he didn't mention me. It doesn't mean, doesn't mean me. Those people know who they are. There are people who've come out in the last few days and they've issued very strong statements. And I'm like, mm, you said absolutely nothing about this five, six years ago when it could have made a difference. And I am furious because we never had to get to this point, Ryan. We never had to get to this point. I can already preempt the potential pushback with stuff like that, saying that, you know, not awarding Russia a World Cup or rewarding things like that, Mm. that doesn't stop the invasion. And that might be true, actually. However, it's not just the single awarding of a World Cup, awarding of various sporting events, or awarding, you know, after a hugely reported and uncovered statewide doping scandal, Mm. still being allowed to compete in the Olympics under, you know, the kind of, was it the independent athletes of Russia or something like that, whatever it is. And this RFU statement with football, that doesn't really hurt them. Sporting restrictions, they hurt Putin. They do, because they make his authoritarian project harder to achieve. Yeah, because you can dine out on sporting success. Absolutely. We literally saw it from our very own country, the country that Moose and I are from, England. We saw a prime example of this on another level during the Euros. Yeah. A group of politicians who were in power, who were, who were leading the country, who were making decisions of that country, at the beginning of the tournament, were highly critical of the England team yes. for taking a stance against racism. Yeah. Think about that. As soon as it looked like they might win the thing, all of them were on the back of the team. Absolutely. In a positive sense. Yeah. We're behind you. Here's us, us watching the game in our England shirts. Like that is a very, very small example of how quickly governments and people in power can jump on the back of sporting success. Actually, in a weird kind of way. You saw them go through the whole spectrum in four weeks. And that's funny things you say that I think actually, because you mentioned there, we're not saying the absence of the World Cup stops the invasion. And that's obviously like, you know, too big a what if to quantify. Here's the thing though. It contributes the to mem- the, yeah, the momentum. That's what I mean. It, it yeah, com- that's what, yeah, I, I never abso- ended that point, but abso- that's what I mean. Absolutely. And just to add to that and finish that point for you, it contributes to the momentum authoritarian drift. That's what it does. Yeah. It essentially removes itself from validating something. Bingo. And actually we saw Putin at the Winter Olympics in Sochi. We saw him escalate his offensive at the same time the Winter Olympics was on. These are not accidents. These are not accidents. And he knows. And this is the funny thing. We saw at the 1978 World Cup in Argentina, like the military junta, like, except, you know, there was people were down the road. They were like, you know, they were disappearing dissidents all over the place during that tournament, right? Like that was going on and that was cover for what was happening in an authoritarian sense. So we, we know what authoritarian leaders have used football for. I think that the people that listen to this podcast will form their own view and they'll know that more that could be done. I just want them to say as a general principle, it's too late to speak on this stuff. And moving forward, how bold can we be before the event? It's our job, I think, as commentators to embrace all that football is. People writing to me, people writing to me as supporters going, oh, I feel really bad about supporting this, that club. And I was almost like, well, listen, being a football fan, it's like being a patriot or loving your country, right? If you truly love a country or an institution, you engage with all that it is, the good and the bad. Yeah. You don't just go, oh, look at this wonderful. No, no, you actually look at the nuances. You look at actually there's more we could do here. This is how we could improve it. And that's how I think you love your club. And I say that as a Manchester United fan. And frankly, there is a lot not to love about Manchester United right now. There's a hell of a lot not to love. And I'm not talking about what tactical system we play. I'm talking about what happens off the field who owns the club, who supports the club in some context in terms of certain segments of the support. Like I'm talking about all of that. I'm talking about the things that we let slide because we adore a player or we have adored a player. The things that we've gone softer on or our defensiveness about certain issues, right? I'm talking about all of that. It's in, to love a club is to engage with all that it is and to do that openly, you know, in your circles, to do so in a way that is uncomfortable, right? Yeah, but let's use Chelsea as an example with the, the statement, non-statement from Abramovich, which essentially doesn't change a single thing. Yeah. Really. It's essentially legal word salad. Yeah. That doesn't happen if there isn't a genuine fear. Of some kind of consequences. Exactly. 
Now, the, the toothpaste was kind of out of the tube years ago. Mm. Ownership is an interesting thing with football because I don't think arguing with people online about the geopolitical aspects of the ownership of your football club, for example, mm. or like the ethical defense of ownership of your football club. I don't think that makes you a better fan, actually. I think it makes you a better fan if you are able to deal with the complications of what happens within the football institution. Because where have we got to now where an owner of a football club as big as Chelsea in the Premier League in London with a history, a, you know, a, a history before Abramovich got there. Chelsea Football Club didn't begin in 2003 when he took over. No. Chelsea Football Club has been around for a long, long time. How have we got to a point where an owner is making essentially like a bit of a distraction statement to pretend that, they're, that he's not as involved as he is anymore because of fears of sanctions, because of a literal invasion in another country. And it's like, funny. How yeah. have we got here? You mentioned, and, and, yeah. I th- yeah. Sorry, and I think that, for example, this was one of the major things that concerned me as an Arsenal fan when Usmanov was rumoured to take over the club. Mm. And loads of people were just like, yeah, but think of the signings and think about how much we, we could win. No, actually, fuck that. Yeah. Fuck that. Because it doesn't mean that much to me. Like football is not, football is not just winning trophies. If football was solely about winning trophies, and I mean solely about winning trophies and solely about success, then 99% of football fans would be miserable forever. And they're not. They're not. And for all, like we live in a country where, you know, the Bundesliga tax and buying winning the league every year and fuck yeah, the Bundesliga has got a number of problems. But this is one problem that it would never have. And the, the, the examples that, of anything that are remotely similar to it, RB Leipzig, Hoffenheim, get huge pushback. Yes. On this podcast, I think, since we started, mm. we've talked about Manchester City, we've talked about PSG, we've talked about Newcastle United recently when that happened. We've talked about problems with Manchester United's ownership through you. Huge problems, yeah. I've talked about my concerns about Stan Kroenke owning Arsenal. We've talked about PSG. We've talked about the awarding uh, of competitions in various locations. We've talked about Hoffenheim and Dietmar Hopp. Yeah. We've talked about RB Leipzig. We've talked about the Red Bull model. We've talked about, you know, even fucking stuff like, we haven't mentioned it, I don't think for a while, but Jim Ratcliffe owning Nice. Yeah. Not great. Yeah. Not great at all. And ideally, something that we would never want. And I feel as though... I'm an idealist a little bit when it comes to football terms, yeah. but I'm also a massive realist. And I know that wherever we are at now is extremely hard to undo. I, I do, some, yeah, yeah. But I do wonder, sorry for just wrapping up because I know I've been going on a bit, but I do wonder whether this weekend, for a lot of people who maybe haven't ever really thought about that stuff outside of just winning trophies, I wonder whether the penny has finally dropped. Because politics and football clubs have been interlinked since their conception. Yes. Nine times out of 10. Yeah. Can I say this as well? Let me throw this in as well. Here's a thought. Okay. And I love what you said. So I'm adding to this. World Cup was awarded to Russia for 2018 and it was already known to be an authoritarian state. And the question was, why are we rewarding an authoritarian state? And there's another question. What future crimes against humanity, against their own people, are we rewarding them for? Qatar was awarded the 2022 World Cup and is known for the work, you know, what's the migrants and all the rest of it, migrant workers and the deaths in those stadiums. What future misdeeds are we rewarding Qatar for by having given them the World Cup? And I, and I say that because if you look at what history has done, we've seen these tournaments awarded to states known to be authoritarian, they escalate. I cannot remember many authoritarian states, Ryan, that de-escalated what they were doing against their own people and the wider, and the wider you know, countries around them haven't been awarded a sporting tournament. And that sounds dramatic and I don't mind because it has to be said because if we'd said that in 2018, I'm not sure we'd be here now, Ryan. And I also say that because, I'm saying this because and I'm talking about this because I think the momentum is everything. We saw Germany making huge shifts in its foreign policy in just a space of a couple of days. We don't know how good those changes are going to be, but that whether they're good or bad, the detail is there, but they're unrecognisable and that happened because of people pressure. Imagine if on the eve of the World Cup 2018, they'd switched it to Japan and said, actually, the Japan bid was the best. We'll just do it there instead. Of all the alternate bids, for example, of all the alternate bids, for example, Japan was the best one. We'll give it to Japan. Ah, oh, but they had it in 2002. doesn't matter. Their bid was incredible. 
we'll put it in Japan. Because what that would have done to the global mood and everyone was looking forward to the World Cup, because for a lot of people, no matter what they're going through, the World Cup is like, it's an emotional holiday for a month. It may not be a physical holiday because you're still working, but it's a thing where you can gather for a month and just take in some football and have that bit of community that you might not have the rest of the year for the next, you know, for every four years. Who knows what could have been achieved if that had been switched at that point? And the only reason I say this is because there are conversations now, I'm seeing the wording of conversations about boycott and changing the tournament. I'm seeing the specific wording of conversation, Ryan, that was ridiculed four years ago in relation to the World Cup, in relation yeah. to Russia. The, the, we, we, sometimes from, how do I say this? From the same writers, like sometimes writers who four years ago were going, this can't happen and now going, oh, this should have happened. I'm like, we have, we've seen you actually writing this. Like, and again, I'm not naming names because it needs about a general point. And the only reason we highlighted Chelsea actually on this podcast is because Chelsea highlighted themselves with those two very strange statements they put out on their website. Yeah, and they they're literally that, owned by someone who knows that they they right. could be in trouble about what is going on here. So. so the only reason we've even mentioned, I think, anybody is because that's a specific example. But that's the, but that's why I wanted to mention the Arsenal relationship with Usmanov. Bingo, I love because it. Because yeah, it yeah. was something that affected my club and like, I'm, yeah. I'm <laughs> fucking hell. It's like, who would have, who would have thought that actually Stan Kroenke and Union Football Club was the better alternative? That's yeah, how bad. Right. There are times when my support of Manchester United, and I say this as someone that's supported for many years, like has been hanging by a thread in recent years. Uh, another thing I want to say on this is like, we don't have the answers. Mm. Like we don't. I think we have one huge answer actually. So I disagree with you on that one point. Well, I, well, I was going to say, but go on, you go first. I'll, I'll... The huge answer I think that we have is this. If you experience shame at supporting a club, right? Your club. Let's say there's an element of shame you feel about it. The one answer is this. Shame isn't good enough of itself. It is not good enough to feel shame and then proceed. If you feel shame in an aspect of your club and what it's doing in terms of its ownership or whatever, like in terms of human rights issues, take that shame and use it, right? Take that shame and use it. Be more inquisitive. See if you can support organizations, let's say ultras, NGOs doing work in the area to combat the wrong that your club is doing. Because here's the thing, if you feel shame, you know it's wrong. You know it's wrong. There's certain organizations, individuals, they've taken over Manchester United. I probably would have been like, that's it for me, actually, because I cannot co-sign that, right? So all I'm saying is if you feel shame, and that is the one answer I want to say in this podcast, take anything away. If you feel shame, that's not good enough of itself. You've got to do something to make it right. And that could be supporting investigative journalists in the area which the country, which the club is exploiting. Uh, so give some money to them, like maybe a couple of euros a month, support a newsletter. Um, not even join a protest, not everyone can get out and do a protest. And some people it's dangerous to do a protest. Well, give a couple of euros to a watchdog um, or I don't know, a, a political lobbyist or something who's trying to do something progressive in a particular area or write to a, a politician um, or, you know, sign a petition or something, but do something. There's a football is often accused of selling its soul, mm. but I actually think that's untrue because what houses the soul can be, can be sold. In, football, in a football sense. Yes, yes, yes. It's a tournament, it's a trophy, it's the legal ownership of a football club. Yes. But the soul can't be bought. The soul belongs to the fans. Yes. Any, any fans out there of football clubs who feel unease about the football, uh, the ownership of their football club. Yes. That person owns it, but can sell it tomorrow and never give it a second thought. Yes. They own it in a legal sense, but they don't own it in a, I don't want to go too fucking hippie hip, but like, I suppose in a kind of like in an actual spiritual sense, mm. right? I'm not a massively spiritual guy, but you know, whatever I'm saying, like, it's yours. Yeah. It's yeah. your club. Yeah. That doesn't change whoever's in charge. It's yours. Like, and if you feel unhappy or you don't agree with problematic ownership, you don't have to defend your club against that push back on it because that club's yours. Here's an example, actually, and let's use Chelsea because I want, I love balance on this podcast. I think it's important to look at Chelsea. They own Stamford Bridge. Yeah, the Chelsea, they yeah. They the Chelsea, it, yeah. Like, so the Chelsea supporters mobilise, so they own that ground. So they've blocked so many changes, developments to it. That's an incredible example of supporter activism. That's what you can achieve if you're motivated and build momentum. And I mentioned that example to show the nuances within Chelsea. It's not a question of, oh, there's nothing we can do. Actually, clubs are working extremely hard internally. Look at Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich have engagements with Qatar and sponsorships. Bayern Munich ultras, listen, you don't want it with them. They're the most like, 
that they're, they're firm, they're assertive, many ways they're progressive, outspoken. You know, that in many ways, a lot of the work those ultras do is a model that can be replicated and taken and inspired from. And like some might go, oh, buy and really, no, actually look closer, right? Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is, what you're saying is, there are really exciting conversations within clubs about the future of the club. And, and please be a part of them. Even if they're intimidating, then find your strength in numbers. Because one thing, if I have one regret about anything, Ryan, in relation to anything that's happened with Putin, is that not enough people, not enough of us, whether we're football writers, uh, executive administrators, not enough of us as supporters to build a critical mass to reject these problems before they arose, to reject them before they built momentum, if that's anything. So, yeah. Final thing from me, because mm. I know that this has been a slightly rambly, meandering mess. They're my favourite kind. It genuinely felt like the world changed this weekend. I agree. It also felt like football changed this weekend. And as we saw with the Super League, pressure on clubs and federations is felt. And they're more. Fr- Thank you for saying this, because someone wrote to me on Twitter and said, oh, the Super League, I feel so helpless. Even that was because it was so badly put together. I said, no, I said, the Super League is one of the most impressive shows of fan-led activism I've ever seen in my sport. And I'm mm-hmm. proud of what supporters did. And, and what, what's happened this weekend is that fans, clubs and federations have come together in a sense, all going in the same direction mm. because of uh, Putin deciding to invade a neighbouring country. Yeah. And like I said at the very, very top, it proves that football knows right from wrong. And for me, that's quite bittersweet because it means that there have been numerous cases in parts that are a little bit further away that get ignored within football when football really has an opportunity to do the right thing. Yeah. I don't know whether this will change anything and I don't know whether it will be something that will just kind of go away and the status quo resumes. Football now really needs to look at itself. It needs to look, FIFA needs to look at themselves, UEFA needs to look at themselves and the fact that they did not fully disqualify Russia here I think speaks volumes. I do however think that the, the process from FIFA I think will be I don't think this is the final decision. I don't either. I think, again, they missed an absolute trick by not coming out stronger. FIFA had a free hit there, again. Do you know what? It's a funny thing, though, in a weird way, Ryan, uh, on that note, I'm glad that FIFA didn't nail the landing with this. I'm glad they didn't Because they have that. to go again. Yeah, and now they've exposed the fact it's that like, they can It's like shift. that windy day on Big, t- Big Jet TV. He's going around. He's going around. <laughs> He's going around. Oosh. <laughs> Now they're landing. <laughs> That's it. FIFA would try, FIFA essentially tried to land it on a very windy day at Heathrow Airport. Big Jet TV guy was streaming the whole thing and they've got to go around. And they revealed themselves. You know, I'm glad they reacted the way they did actually because they showed the entire world that when it came down to it, they would only ever do the bare minimum because money was more important and the spectacle was more important. And now they're in that situation like that dude in the Hunger Games they're like that ruler in the Hunger Games who wants the games to proceed despite the misery of everyone around them. And that's what FIFA kind of is. That's what the World Cup became actually in 2018 and 2022. And because they've exposed themselves like this, they will shift again, I think. And the world's going to be better for it. Like when I say the world, I mean society, I think generally in terms of what is valued. And someone wrote the other day to me on social media, they're like, oh, like, is there more you could have done better here or there? And he was like, very blessing. He was like, oh, I didn't mean that as a gotcha. And I said, look, I have a platform. Whether you meant it as a gotcha or not, like I'm, I'm head to cut my writing all the time, right? I'm critiqued yeah, all the time. And I'm like, here's the thing. I'm like, actually, this is what I'm saying is let's expect more of everyone who loves football. In- yes, including the people that write about it and cover it. Including and who- us. But us, yes, actually, ultimately that. Expect more, not only of those who cover the game for us, uh, who fund the game for us and who produce the game for us, but let's also expect more of ourselves. Okay, let's all push ourselves harder. I'll be doing that. Goodness knows that's a thing that I try to commit myself to all the time. And let's, let's all do that. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Try to do some fun stuff. Let's do it. Chelsea nil, nil, Liverpool nil. In the Carabao Cup final, Liverpool winning 11-10 on penalty kicks. Wow. This game... I mean, first of all, the way it began, wow, I mean, like, just obviously, like, you know, all this stuff happening in Ukraine, we talked about that, but then, like, just the imagery at the very beginning, you had, like, the military kneeling on these, like, sort of icons in the centre of the pitch, and I was just like, wow, like, that felt different, not even on a critical, not to critique it, we've done the critique in the first half, but just in terms of this final, I was like, wow, like, this whole, this is intense, right? And here's the thing about this game, I think intense, weirdly enough, it set the tone because not set the tone, but it summed it up because this game, I was, talk, I was watching it with um, my mate Zan and a couple of other friends, uh, shout out to Jeff and Sol. Listen, we're watching this game and Ryan, I thought to myself and I turned and I said, if someone didn't tell you what this match was, right? And this is no disrespect to the Carabao Cup final. If someone didn't tell you what this match was, someone said multiple choice question, is this game A, the Carabao Cup final, B, the FA Cup final, or C, the Champions League final? I think a lot of people would have said, this is as intense as an FA Cup final or a Champions League final. In terms of the quality, the tactical adjustments, the personnel involved, mm. I, I, I turned to, to Zan and I'm like, this game means, means more. This game means more than a Carabao Cup final. Like, didn't it feel intense though? The ref didn't give a yellow card for absolutely ages. And I thought that was almost like, because the ref knew, because whenever there was a decision that's contentious, and I think he actually, I think he kind of messed up. I think he should have given a harsher card actually to Navigator. If I'm honest. I should have gone. Yeah, card, I should have, should have gone. But just the way that people crowded the ref when anything flared up was like, these teams, there's a lot of needle here. Yeah. Although, you know, when Trent and Kai Harvest went head to head. Yes. I know that both can, can kind of give it when they want to, but this was very much like that gif of the two kids doing karate where they're just both like, none of, none of them are landed it. The two and little then, kids then, are just like jumping around. They're like, boop. And then the two dads came to the playground, Rudiger and Milner. <laughs> they're like, no, 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 listen, this is how you do it. This is how you scrap. That was incredible. The game itself was, oh, afterwards we were talking, was like, can you remember a better nil-nil draw than that? I don't think I can. Like, and that actually, I mean, that's, that's due to, I think, a couple of things. It's first of the, it's first of all due to, the astonishing, frankly, the astonishing goalkeeping of Edouard Mendy, of which more later. And also like some of the finishing. Like, I think there was only, and I think there was one example. Luis Diaz went through on goal and he's the only player when he went through on goal that had the body language where I thought that guy's going to score that. Or at least I'm confident he might. Mo Salah went through on goal and I didn't think he was going to score. Mm. If you replay all of those moments when they go through, I think Harvards goes through, Mount goes through, um, misses the target. Pulisic does this strange thing where very early on he takes it with his left foot and is almost turning away in celebration. He's almost- thinking about, thinking about his dance. <laughs> yes, certainly. <laughs> got to try and get it. Got to try and get it right this time. Listen, it's actually- <laughs> um, I've got to say, Chelsea manufactured some really great opportunities. I saw that front three, Mount, Harvest and Pulisic, who complement each other really quite well. And they clearly designed that front three to be one where they wouldn't, crash the box as much as I would like. But what they would do is they would withdraw to allow the runner to come in. And they, de- they got Mount doing that twice. Twice you saw them peel away Harvard's because Harvard's just like, you know, melts into thin air. And then Mount ran through central. And there was a really clever thing they did at the end of the, which was into the first half where obviously Trent pushes so hard up the pitch. It's reductive to call him a right back because of his positioning. So what they did is they allowed Trent to push high and they cut in. Trent ran into the gap that Mount left. That's what Mount ran, so Mount ran into the gap, but Trent left and was through one-on-one. And you saw him miss that chance and you saw Tuckle wince and you're almost like, that felt like a thing they'd drawn up. And if it's any consolation to Chelsea, and maybe it won't be because they didn't score those vital goals, it's like the infrastructure is working. Like Kante and Kovacic in particular, I love that midfield combination. 
I, to me, that's the, the, I mean, I felt that way from early on in the season, but to me, Kante Kovacic is just like a complete midfield too. Um, and I suppose they wake up this morning thinking we probably should have won that because the way they started both halves, it was interesting. They started both halves really strong and it actually was a mirror in both games, like very strong start to both halves for Chelsea and then Liverpool just like sort of taking control at the time. And also shout out to Thiago who provided the first heartbreaking moment of the final, not the last one by all accounts, but um, who had to like withdraw in the warm up and was mm. absolutely disconsolate, was in floods of tears on the bench because of course Thiago came to Liverpool to play in huge matches and win trophies. And he was brilliant. He's been brilliant in the last few um, weeks. You know, he's been in the form that we looked at when he arrived and thought that's how he should be playing. He's fully integrated now. He's an integral part. And I think Thiago playing for Liverpool, we've talked about Chelsea, this Chelsea closed the gaps so well. And Thiago is one of the few players that gets through the gaps before they close. So big loss to Liverpool, but they still overcame it. Yeah, I do think the, I do think the Lukaku goal was... It's onside, man. What are we doing? Like, what are we doing? There was like halfway up his arm, yeah. whatever. And, but both of his feet were like well behind on. Van Dyke's. I don't know, man. I don't, I just, uh, I know probably this is technically probably offside, but this is so spiritually onside. Do you know what's heartbreaking about that goal that wasn't for Lukaku? It was an answer. It was waiting to happen. Yeah. It was waiting to happen. There was something so tragic about that for Lukaku, like, there's a moment actually earlier in the game where there's a square pass on and he's basically six yards out and it's tapping, doesn't come to him. Mm. And he's got his hands up protesting. So that frustration basically foreshadowed the frustration that made him offside because his arm was offside because he's like going here, he's screaming, put it in his gap. And the way that he handled Konate was outstanding. He wasn't getting much change out of Van Dyke on the left flank. So cut across to the inside right. And then actually I think was a better matchup with Konate. The way that he handled in the cut inside and finish, I was thinking to myself, Lukaku really needed that goal. Yeah. Like he really needed that defining goal with what he's been through, what he's experienced. And it didn't, it just wasn't, it wasn't for him. And it wasn't to be. It wasn't to be, yeah. And there were, there were a few players, I mean, Mount will wake up this morning thinking I should have scored that one I put against the post in particular. Mendy makes one of the best saves I think oh Wembley my will God. ever see. The first one comes to a crowd. The Great shot, German commentary on this, by the way. Oh my goodness. The, f- the first one comes through a crowd. I think maybe he's a couple of pairs of legs and he parries it, which is a great save by itself. Mm. And the follow-up, he flings himself forwards and upwards and gets his hand to it and he watches the ball onto his hand from Mane. Incredible. I mean, goodness knows what the WhatsApp group was like after that game. You said uh, the human equivalent of the block button <laughs> I, did, I did and I nearly quote tweeted it but I didn't want people to think that we were like beefing online but I actually think I'm going to well actually my good friend Mr. Gwanga <laughs> I think he's more of a mute button <laughs> because they keep trying just not home and he's just not, not, not having it yeah, doesn't yeah. see any of it <laughs> this is the wild thing because he was in my opinion the game's outstanding player and then he gets, and his saves are getting better and better. And then he gets subbed off for Kepa at the yeah. end of extra time. A pre-agreed thing. Pre-agreed thing. Absolutely. I think also their penalty saving records for Chelsea, are, I think, support that potential substitution. Mm. I'm just, but. Yeah, there's a big but there though, isn't there? Kepa didn't really look close to saving any of the penalties. Mm. You know, even the ones where he chose the right corner, like the Van Dyke was a good example. Van Dyke, he basically like went the right way. It was right. It rolled around the back of the net. Fabinho, well, Fabinho was classic because he was second up. And what happened there, Ryan? Someone listens to Stadio. <laughs> someone listens, someone read the game theory. <laughs> there you go. Which side didn't Penenka a single penalty? And which side lost the shootout? Listen, it was what Listen, it was. All I have to back me up it with are facts. It's facts. It's facts. facts. That's facts all I've got. Facts. I mean, listen, listen, I've got, you know, I'm not a particularly tall man. <laughs> don't really have, don't really, you know, pace not, and power. Su- no not, pace not and really power. that good looking. Not really that gifted oh, listen, technically. Listen, listen, listen to him. Listen, listen not, to him. <laughs> not particularly, not particularly wealthy. <laughs> don't own property. <laughs> but I will always have Ryan Hunt's Benenkalor. Exactly. The little Hanenka. And you can never take it away from me. 
Um, right, let's talk about the penalties then because they were outstanding. They were really good. Our good friend Louis Miguel from the Kigalazzo podcast yeah. said, let Klopp and Tuckle take one. And I was just like, <laughs> now that, I love this. Now that is a solution. I'm going to call that Louis Miguel's amendment to the penalty, the Ryan Hunt's penalty law. Ryan O'Hanlon said, uh, formerly of this parish, said, all-time great penalty from Virgil van Dijk. Kepa standing way to the right and he just rips it right in his face anyway. Yes. But then he stares him down and yeah. it reminded me of Scotty Pippin when he dunks on Patrick Ewing and, looks over and then him. just looks over, stands over him and essentially just walks on him. Do you know what? It gets a technical. Do you know what? Do you know what? You should have got a yellow card. Yellow card. A technical. You should have booked him. Wow. That would have been so funny. Kevin Kelleher, he hit an unbelievable penalty. He really did. And he didn't even need to save Keppers because there was this amazing f- video, I think I put it in the Writers House group, of a guy who was filming in the, in the crowd and he was filming the Liverpool fans behind the goal for their reaction. And all of a sudden, in the left-hand part of the video, you just see Keppers penalty flying. Into the <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> 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 he took a penalty. I must say, it reminded t- me of that Ramos one that everyone gift. Oh yeah, it's still travelling somewhere. Yeah, beyond Maybe the reach of Interstellar. Yeah, just, Ramos and Kepa's penalties are actually no. no, they're not. No, no, no. Right, no. Right, right, Ramos's penalty broke free of Interstellar. Yeah, space, and the reason yeah. why I know that Kepa's isn't in in, uh, in space universe. somewhere is because some guy caught it, a dad, and took it home. That's amazing. That's incredible. I love that stuff. I love. No one's no one caught the Ramos penalty. That's still out no, there. No. But what I would say about the Kepa thing was he took it's actually, it like- Marmos's penalty is actually gathering data of Saturn's rings right now. <laughs> <we're talking> <laughs> the Ramos telescope. It's made first contact. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's, it's going to bounce. It's going to bounce off a planet and come all the way back. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up a sleeping alien. Yeah. Oh no. Oh no. What I'll say with uh, Kepa is before I forget, I'm losing my train of thought. What I'll say with Kepa is, um, you know, sometimes you see goalkeepers where you're like, this person's practiced a ton of penalties. Yeah. I'm not saying he hasn't. It just didn't look like he had. It didn't look, because having a go-to, maybe, you know, those, those moments are terrifying as well. They are terrifying. But like, you know, when you've got like a go-to corner as a strike or a player, and I think that was a reflection of just how good the penalties were. Like, were you even expecting it to come this far? Because they were, if you watch them again, they were as good. I've seen, there was only maybe one of the penalty that was like, Uncertain, maybe Canates, I would say, was the one that was maybe, uh, I can see this maybe not going in, but everything else is pretty much like nailed on. Extraordinary. Good penalties, yeah. man. Really good, yeah. Oh, poor Kepa though, man. Yeah, poor Kepa. Poor Kepa. Being, I mean, that's just, obviously it's, it's kind of like, there's a comic element there, but I think coming on, being subbed on specifically for the penalties and then actually just skying yours yeah, is just yeah. such a, it's oh. a cheap, it's an easy punchline. Yeah, it actually, totally is. Actually, yeah. it's like, it's one of those ones where it's inspired if it were. It's like Tim Krul against, like, you, know, like, you know, against Costa Rica for like, Netherlands. Yeah. yeah. And the World Cup, you know, work, uh, a couple of World Cups ago. It's like that. But um, yeah, congrats to Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. What a fun final. The first of potentially four trophies. Because Liverpool, stealthily on track for the little quadruple, goal difference in the Premier League. Looking good in Champions League, FA Cup coming up against Norwich, I think. Liverpool, listen, Liverpool fans going, oh, we're under the radar. No, you're not. You're on blast. Yeah, we see. We see we know, you all. We, we know we you're see look, you we're not moving towards. Exactly. We see you all tiptoeing around it. Just do it. Do it. Tiptoeing towards the cookie jar. Believe. <laughs> Liverpool believe. like, oh, hey, listen. Ah, believe. Ah, all of ah, you need ah. to believe. I want to see the belief. <laughs> uh, should we bounce? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, much love, everyone. We hope everyone's staying safe and well. Obviously, getting vaccinated if you can. Sending thoughts and love out to anyone affected by what's going on. Yes. Um, Stadio Outro's playlist on Spotify. Speaking of which, we are playing out today on Robert Moore, Tears of the World. Anything you want to add, Musa Kwanga? Nothing further. Thank God for that. <laughs> get out of it. <laughs> uh, much love, everyone. Stay well. We'll be back on Thursday. See you then.
People talk about the birds in the trees. 